don't care what the numbers say, that was Blake's game. That might have been the best I've seen him. It was incredible. It was Blake's game to lose. This, my friends, was Kevin Kiermeyer of the Tampa Bay Rays. After Kevin Cash, the Rays manager, unbelievably took Blake Snell out of the game in the middle of the sixth inning for absolutely no reason and essentially handed the World Series to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and this the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. If you didn't stay up, the Dodgers won game six, three to one, and won their first championship since 1988. And yippee yay to them, second highest payroll in baseball. That's just how that stuff goes. When you spend enough money on payroll, you're going to get yourself multiple cracks at a championship. They were in the World Series for the third time in four years, and they won whatever. That wasn't the thing out of this, and I don't think it's going to be something, even in the context of all the coronavirus that uh, impacted baseball for months, what people will be talking about as it relates to this series for years to come will be Cash's decision. Snell had pitched five and a third innings. He was outstanding. Uh, He had everything going on. He was wiping out the Dodgers. uh, Zero runs. The Rays were up 1-0. And it just looked like the Dodgers were going to be in a lot of trouble and we were going to get to see a Game 7. 73 pitches was all Snell had thrown. And there came Cash. And you get the TV cameras catch Snell stepping off the mound. He's a kind of a colorful sort. He's really outspoken. And let's just say he shouted out one word that was more outspoken than most. But he wasn't alone. Anybody who was watching this, who's appreciated or loved baseball all their lives, would have been saying the same thing. I said the same thing. I didn't have a horse in this race. I didn't care who won. How do you do that? How do you take the guy out? Universal. And I pop onto social media and I see the same thing. Wow, seriously? Uh, Even people who never, ever criticize managerial decisions, even stat heads who worship the ground that the Rays walk on, they just think whatever it is that the Rays do, it must be smart because they're the Rays. Well, you know what happens next. Cash not only takes... Snell out, but he brings in a relief pitcher who'd been tagged in each of his last six appearances because something, something, something showed up on somebody's heat map or whatever it is. I already forgot the dude's name. I'm sorry. But he comes in and he gives up a couple runs, and then that's that. That's that. Dodgers go on to win. The Rays don't score again. And that's just, like, fate slash karma, whatever you'd want to call it. 
How dumb was this? Well, forget what I just said about how good Snell was and how bad his replacement was. The three hitters that the Dodgers had due up were Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, and Justin Turner. Now, those are three of their best. Seager ended up being World Series MVP, had a tremendous playoff run. Uh, Betts ended up homering later in the game. Everybody knows what he is. Those three guys against Snell in this game were 0 for 6 with 6 strikeouts. I'm going to repeat that. They were 0 for 6 with 6 strikeouts. He was basically little-leaguing them. But the Rays metric that everybody knew Cash was going to cite, and sure enough he did afterward, was that third time through the lineup, Snell gets hit a little bit harder. That's it. That's it. That was his that was his complete reasoning. Here, here, just listen. This is this is what he said. No, I mean the, the only motive was that um, the, the, the lineup lineup the Dodgers feature is as potent as any team in the league. Personally, I felt Blake had done his job and then some. Uh, Mookie coming around for the third time through. Uh, I value that. Uh, I, I totally respect and understand the the questions that come with it. Um, Blake gave us every opportunity to win. He was outstanding. They're not easy decisions. Um, and th- that's where I came to the decision. I felt it was best after the guy got on base. Uh, Barnes hit the single. Uh, didn't want Mookie seeing Mookie or Seeger seeing Blake uh, a third time. That's all he had. It was times through the order. And that, that's become a, a thing. Um, newsflash. There's nothing modern or advanced or even particularly analytical about gauging that a pitcher isn't as good or as effective in the sixth inning as he would be in the first inning. This isn't revolutionary. This is stuff that would have made Hannes Wagner yawn. When you look at this type of reasoning and people think of it as highbrow something, ooh, the Rays, they do this is this is stupid. This is stupid. This move is stupid. There's no other way to word this. The differential between Snell's first time through an order, second time through an order, and a third time through an order, if it were something epic, if it were something spectacular, you could at least begin to have a conversation about it when he's pitching that well. Begin. But even then it wouldn't get very far. As it is, his ERA, the third time through an order is 4.07. And I got to tell you, in the year 2020, that ain't so bad. Some of the counter-arguments, and believe me, there weren't many, but some of the counter-arguments that came from people who just reflexively defend the Rays because, ooh, stats. Therefore, they're correct because they they like analytics and therefore every decision they make. This A lot of this crap happened uh, early on in Neil Huntington's tenure, too. Everything he did was gold with a huge chunk of the Pirates fan base because, well, you know, he's he's into numbers and Littlefield wasn't. Therefore, all of this is smart. And it took everybody an awful long time to realize how not smart Huntington and Kyle Stark really were. This decision can't be defended on analytics for the simple reason that even the analytics go against this. 
You can say, well, this is the way the Rays have done it all along, and the Rays have bucked the trends, and the Rays have been different, and that's how they got to this point. Why should they change now? You know why they should change now? Because it's Game 6 of the World Series! Because you have your best pitcher out there just mowing people down. And I have to say this again, he's about to face three hitters who were a combined 0 for 6 with 6 Ks to that point in that game. A lot of analytics, understandably and smartly, for real, are aimed at succeeding over the course of a long season. That is how the Rays got to this point. But you don't just go full-on robot once your season is down to just a couple innings. That's not the time to say, well, this is just like we did it in the second week of the regular season in that game against whoever, whenever. This is it. This is your season. This guy who's on your mound is giving you everything he's got. Snell took the high road, which kind of surprised me a little bit given his nature and other things that he's said over time. And just said, look, if you're going to write bad stories about the decision, make sure you also note that Kevin Cash is right most of the time. Again, regular season, broader perspective, big picture, ice cold. But it doesn't fly when it comes down to what matters the most. And I have long maintained that the greatest flaw in the analytics culture, not in analytics themselves, but in the analytics culture, is that they don't take into account and actually hate the term clutch. It's it's just total anathema. You just you can't even bring it up. You can't have a discussion that a player could possibly be better than another player in a trying situation. Why? Because it's difficult to quantify, and anything that's difficult to quantify in any mathematical uh, setting is going to be dismissed. Well, there's no numbers for it. doesn't exist. That dude was out there bawling. He was unbelievable the way he was pitching. It would have been one of the better performances in recent World Series history, the way he was going, even if all he did was give them seven. He was at 73 pitches. He was competing. The dude had fire coming from his eyes. You could tell that his teammates felt it behind them in their body language. And they watched him get taken off the mound. Cody Bellinger from the Dodgers was asked about it later, and he said flat out, yeah, we were shocked was the word. The Dodgers were shocked, according to Bellinger, and really, really happy. There is such a thing as being too smart for your own good. And in this case, the Rays are so used to hearing how smart they are from everybody. Oh, the Rays, they have tiny payroll. They have payroll like the Pirates. They really do, just a couple million dollars higher. But they're so smart and they're so innovative. 
that you can come to see it as a calling. You can come to see it as a responsibility or a role you're supposed to fill. Cash is out there watching Snell old school this game to death the way he's pitching. Oh, that's just not going to do. We're smart. We have to do something smart here. Then he comes out of the dugout. You tell me why, if you're a pitcher, you want to pitch for that. Beyond belief. Beyond belief. I, I still, I, I just can't even. Can't even process it. When we come back, some football. You know, I like to do a lot of different topics on Daily Shot. And sometimes it's just not easy to get off the one. This this Rays thing, you'd think I was invested in the outcome. I'm going to repeat, I really couldn't care less. I, from a salary cap standpoint, hoping that Major League Baseball gets one someday, I wanted the Dodgers to win. But that's not something that I would have parlayed into sitting on my couch and observing this particular event going, yay, Dodgers. I mean, it was just a very passive observation. Just when I see that, when I see athletes get cheated the way the Rays were by their own manager, when I see athletes given their all, and I'd say the same thing if this was done by Dave Roberts and the Dodgers, although they're less likely to do that. The Rays have this thing, like I said, it's just so bad. I did promise football, right? Yeah, I'm going to do football. This portion of Daily Shot, before I get to that, is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George, including my good friend Larry Kelly, who gave a shout-out in this direction on Twitter. He stayed up and watched the game, too. They represent people, LGKG does, who are hurt in car accidents, who need help with workers' comp, who filed medical malpractice claims. They've been keeping promises. That's their thing. Larry told me that himself. They're all about the promises that they make to you and then the promises that they keep. They've been doing that for 80 years there. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City. You can learn more about them at lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. I I did say football, right? Yeah, I'm going to do football. I I just just picture me shaking my head through this whole football segment at that thing with the Rays. Because there is a human aspect to sports. There just is. And now I'm not even talking about the decision. Again, I'm talking about the competitors. I wrote a a column years ago. Uh, Actually, I take that back. It wasn't a column. It was uh, more like a data-driven analysis piece. It was a deep dive for newspaper uh, way before I was in this independent venture about the presence of clutch. This was back when, like, this was 
Nobody was talking about this stuff. Do you believe in clutch? Oh, of course you do. Of course you do. I, I had Jack Wilson and Freddie Sanchez were playing for the Pirates at the time, which gives you a date on this piece. And Jack was quoted in this piece by me as saying that the Pirates feared facing David Eckstein more than they did Albert Pujols. Because why? Because, oh, Eckstein, he's clutch. He's clutch. Now, this was run through the grinder by the analytics community after it came out, and Jack was mocked, I mean, mercilessly. Just, you know, and, and Freddie kind of echoed him, so Freddie got a little bit too. And when I pointed out the significant discrepancies between the damage that Pujols can do to you and the damage that Eckstein can do, even within the article, it didn't go so well for the two of them. But the point was to talk about the the human aspect of this, the human perception, or in this case, misperception, as to what constitutes a player performing at their best in a tough spot. You know? Because there is a value to it. We watched in Pittsburgh as Barry Bonds, Andy Van Slyke, and Bobby Bonilla all stunk three playoffs in a row. All of them. All three of them. People sometimes pick on Barry. They forget it was the entire heart of the order. 90, 91, and 92. All three of them were lousy. Couldn't buy a hit. And it wasn't just when Steve Avery, the big lefty, was pitching or glavin it. It was they just couldn't hit. And yeah, it looked like they were choking or gagging or whatever other terms you want to apply to that. I don't care. Those were the biggest games that they'd played in their lives, and they shrunk from them. Bonds would have some postseason success later in San Francisco, but like everything that he achieved in San Francisco, it meant absolutely nothing because he cheated. At the time, they were chokers. They were gaggers. So what I ended up doing with this piece was I, I wrote that maybe clutch itself doesn't exist or it's incredibly rare. And by that, I think when people say, well, they rise to the occasion or they get better as the games get bigger, they actually don't. In most cases, a clutch performer is just someone who doesn't shrink from the situation. Very rarely do you have something like, do you remember John Druce? There's a name from the past. Played for the Capitals like 100 years ago. Scored 14 goals in a single playoff. No one ever heard from this guy before or after that playoff. A complete nothing. But he scored a zillion goals in that playoff. That's rising uh, over your head in the biggest games. But there aren't many examples like that. Reggie Jackson wasn't like that. Reggie Jackson didn't get better in playoff games. He was just Reggie Jackson. Roberto Clemente didn't get better in the 1971 World Series. He was just Clemente. He didn't shrink from it. No, he wasn't going to hit 414 the way he did in 1971. No, he wasn't going to have a hit in every single game as he did in both the 1960 and 1971 World Series, but he was just Clemente. He didn't necessarily rise above. He just didn't shrink from it. This stuff matters. Blake Snell is out on that mound with the game in his hand. The game is in his left hand. 
Some things about baseball have not changed since the 1870s, and that is one of them. The pitcher has the game in his hand, and when he wants it there, you don't take it away unless you have either a health issue or a pitch count. You don't take it away because of some silly, trivial, in this case, slice of analytics about third time through the order. You don't do that. It's dumb. It's dumb while seeking out the opportunity to look smart. I, I still can't believe I watched it. I'm going to hear, and already had a couple texts come my way from people in the baseball community. Uh, one of them in particular I was expecting to hear from right away. I'll leave his name out of it because he's been railing against this stuff forever. And a lot of people are going to use this as a, as a vehicle to bash analytics in general. That's not what this was about. This wasn't ripping analytics or damning them. What this was about was the improper use of analytics for the purpose of trying to appear smart. The analytics themselves powerfully illustrate that Snell should stay in the game. Because there are analytics to show you how effective he he was with all of his offerings, the control that he was exhibiting. Those are all analytics-based, too. How about the fact that the guys he was facing in the order were a lot better against the guy who was coming into the game than they were against the guy they were currently going to face? Those are analytics, too. Cash blew it because he was a prisoner to this idea that the Rays are so smart and he's got to be that way too. This is going to be something that hurts analytics more than it should. But this is also something that I think a lot of people across sports can learn from. Those are still people. Those are still people out there playing these games. Man, I didn't talk about football here at all, did I? I'm going to have to try that in the third segment. Okay, I promise when I come back, football for real. All right, welcome back. Football for real in this segment. No lie, no bluff. Steelers versus Ravens this week and you know as this week gets deeper it's all I'm going to be talking about writing about everything and it won't be that hard to get into it believe me it just was today you know this portion of daily shot is brought to you by the good folks at the greater pittsburgh community food bank in normal times one in seven people in our region don't know where their next meal is coming from. That includes one in five children. In a pandemic, that need is obviously that much greater. The food bank is going through a drive right now called Grow, Share, Thrive, which you can find 
as an independent website called growsharethrive.org. If you contribute $10 to the food bank, and by the way, $10 will provide enough food for up to 50 meals. No exaggeration. 10 bucks for 50 meals. There's a matching donation that comes in of another $5. Growsharethrive.org. Steelers aren't the types to shy away from the bigger matchups. Doesn't mean they'll win them all. Doesn't mean they'll perform at their best. But they don't shy away from them. And a big reason for that is the approach that Mike Tomlin takes. We giggle sometimes at some of his terminology. He's he's pretty interesting <laughs> the way he speaks. Uh, I happen to love it. But he'll build up things as routine as going into a stadium on Sundays. Uh, and that's the way he'll refer to it. We're going into stadiums. How do we look when we're in stadiums where you can visualize things? Uh, AFC North football, AFC North football. We're looking forward to AFC North football. He'll use that same line, whether it's any of the three opponents, not just when it's Baltimore. He'll use it for Cleveland. He'll use it for Cincinnati because at different junctures, any of the three teams can be at the time the one that you really can't stand the most. But with Baltimore week, it's different. There are some coaches that worry about overhyping or it's just another game or we need to focus on ourselves. And you hear a lot of that, right? It's kind of cliched. Tomlin doesn't do that with Baltimore. And funny thing is, John Harbaugh, who will speak with us uh, later this afternoon from the Ravens headquarters in Owings Mill, he does the same thing. He builds up Pittsburgh week. It's it's all Pittsburgh. It's Steelers, Steelers, Steelers. Everybody knows about Steelers versus Ravens. This is just how it is. Both coaches have taken that and just completely run with it, and they've done that for years. And this obviously predates Harbaugh to when Brian Billick was there. It's just, it's it's little different. That's really cool. I mean, I I I I love that about this series. That by the time they take the field, even for warm-up Sunday at MNT Bank Stadium. You, you'll feel it out there. You'll see them chirping at each other across the line. You'll see it on the first drive. You'll see the hits. You'll see that nobody's reaching their hand down to pick the guy up after a tackle. Little stuff like that that you won't see in other series. They're not trying to injure, but then they're not trying to not injure if you can follow me. If they hit you hard enough that you get hurt, there will be no remorse. This was what Tomlin had to say yesterday, really without any kind of provocation as it relates to this week of prep. You know, we, we're just going to play to the best of our abilities. We're going to play within our personality, and uh, we need to be on the details. We need to play fast and play collectively uh, together, and hopefully that's enough. That's it, right? Why not? Build it up. Baltimore, Baltimore, Baltimore. The Steelers, get this, will be completing a three-game stretch that'll be the first such stretch since 2004 in which an NFL team will play three consecutive games 
against opponents with one or fewer losses this far into a season, meaning week six or later. The Elias Sports Bureau found that. Absolutely amazing. You know, all this talk we've had, you know, Steelers haven't played anybody, Steelers haven't played anybody, and suddenly they're engaged in the midst of arguably the hardest three-game stretch anybody's faced this late in the season in 16 years, just like that. So you have the Ravens aspect. You also have this. You have somewhere you got to have in the back of your mind, if you're one of the Steelers, that if you can get through this and you're 7-0 and and your next three games are Cowboys, Jaguars, and Bengals, yeah, I'm not going to say it, but you know what I'm thinking here. The Ravens are at the other end of that, by the way, is how that works. But you have a couple of games left against the Bengals, and you got at least, let's put it this way, without insulting the opponents that are coming ahead on the schedule, you can at least say, look, if you beat Baltimore here, you're putting yourself in a good, not authoritative, but a good position toward competing for the number one seed in the AFC. And remember that this year, because of the expanded playoff format in coronavirus times, there will only be one team in each conference that gets a bye, just the top seed. It's not two the way it's been in the past. So that's something that's actually worthwhile, and who knows what can happen in the interim there with uh, Kansas City, Tennessee, Buffalo, the other teams that are floating around in that mix. I can't mention Cleveland, even though they're 5-2. I'm sorry, they stink. The Steelers are in a really, really good spot here. They could be in a great spot with a win against Baltimore. You know what's funny? They'll still appreciate beating the Ravens that much more than anything I just mentioned. Thanks so much for listening today. Apologies for the hijacked second segment. Just couldn't control myself. We'll talk again tomorrow. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.